All right, let's see here. We'll be in 2 Timothy chapter 4 tonight, and we'll continue. Uh, well, I think this will be the last part of this study on the, uh, the fight, fighting the good fight, as Paul says it here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. And uh, let's see, let me find my place, and then we'll stand for the reading of God's Word here. Let's see. I believe we'll start at, you know, we're going to start at verse 1. Let's stand, if you will, to your feet tonight. We're going to start at verse 1, and the reason why I want to start at verse 1 is I believe there's some truth in these few passages here that are worth acknowledging before we conclude this battle. You know, you got to know why you're fighting. A boxer knows why he's fighting, right? He wants to win that belt. Um, another athlete out there, maybe a basketball team or something, they know why they're playing. They want to win the trophy. Uh, everybody, they know what the goal is, and it's good for us to understand why we're doing what we're doing. Why do we need to fight the good fight? So 2 Timothy chapter 4, let's start with verse 1 together. It says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Now verse 2 is more to the preacher, and that would certainly be directed towards me. But there's a great warning. This is why I've been commanded to preach the word. And I want you to see the warning in verse 3, because we're seeing it take place in the day and age we live in. Look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they, that's the teachers, shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. And a lot of that's happening now with a lot of the uh, styles of preaching that go on throughout uh, our nation as well as around the world. Verse 5, but watch thou in all things, endure inflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now Paul says this, for I am now ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. God had given him some understanding about when he, his time was up. He was coming to the end of his journey, life's journey, and he was about to see his Lord. Verse 7, I have fought a good fight and I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight, and I thank you for this morning's services. And I praise you for each one that's been with us today, Lord, and I hope that you've been able to touch hearts and lives, and I pray tonight you'll be able to do the same. Thank you so much for our church. Thank you for uh, those who are able to be here tonight. And I just pray that you bless them and help them to understand your word tonight as we go through the last part of this message. Lord, unless you see fit to extend it another week, I just pray you'd help us now with the message. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, you can go and be seated. So you see in chapter 4, as it talks about preaching the word, verse 3 should be an eye-opener to all of us that we're in a time where many will no longer endure sound doctrine. They do not want to hear preaching, and I don't mean shallow preaching. I'm not talking about hollering and screaming and yelling and giving you a bunch of rules. I'm saying there are so many who will no longer endure just the straightforward preaching and teaching of God's blessed Word. 
because they're heaping to themselves teachers because they have itching ears. You know what they want to hear? They want to hear motivational messages. They want to hear, hear feel good. They want to hear messages that appeal to the flesh. They want carnal preaching. And the Lord already warned us that the day would come when that's what would happen in the world, that carnal preaching would supersede biblical preaching. And so how do we overcome that? How do we stand against such a tidal wave of carnality that is in the world right now? We have to fight a good fight. We've got to strive to finish our course. We have to learn to keep the faith. If you don't do it and I don't do it, no one else is going to do it. We can't put it off on other people. It is up to the believer to fight a good fight, to finish your course, and to keep the faith. And we've talked about three areas of our lives that we have to fight this good fight. The first one was the inward area. Salvation, there's your beginning. Submission, learn to be submitted to God. You desire His will. And then there's sanctification of the Lord in your life. And without those things, you're never going to move on in your Christian life. Salvation, submission, and sanctification. So simple, but yet so impactful in our lives. And then there's the outward fight we talked about last week. That our appearance does matter. That our, our amusements do matter because they influence us. There's a philosophy in every bit of entertainment that is projected into the world. And that philosophy will either poison or it will purify you one way or the other. And then there's the attitudes that God wants us to have in the world we live in. To live by faith and not by sight. Then there's the actions. What's the outcome? What's the results of my walk with the Lord? Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. When others see your good works, they're going to glorify your Father which is in heaven. We have to learn to fight the good fight. Time's running out. If you could imagine with me an hourglass clock up here and sand at one time when Jesus first went back to heaven, it was pretty full on the top. I want you to know it's almost gone now. We're at the end. And we are very close to the return of Christ. Because we see a world that has become bloated in its Christianity. And carnality is just second nature to the majority of Christians today. And in most cases, Christians, self-professing Christians, followers of Christ, would much rather follow their own intuition and desires than actually look to the blessed Word of God and know what He has to say. And thus saith the Lord is going out the window. The fear of God is going out the window. And so that tells me we're getting that much closer to the end. And so we need to learn to fight the good fight, finish our course and keep the faith. Two areas, the outward, the inward, and the last one that I want to talk to you tonight about is the upward fight. I believe we're seeing so many casualties on that spiritual battlefield because the upward fight is where we're really suffering the most. You know, a boxer is only really as good when he goes into the ring He's really only as good as his training. You take some, some guy off the street who's been eating cheeseburgers every day and he's been scarfing down uh, Snickers bars and down in Coke and never runs, never works out, just sits and watches uh, Andy Griffith's show all day long and then you stick him in the ring with some heavyweight who has been in the gym, who has been working out every day, who has been running, 
and exercising and eating healthy and has his stamina up and his endurance is up and his strength is up, he is going to pummel that man, no matter how good of a fighter he once was. See, the, the exercise, the, the pre-work uh, in the gym is what makes those fighters so great in the ring. And I want you to know the upward fight is just that. It's us being in God's gym, the heavenly gym, that we are, we are training ourselves, we are working out, we are, um, we are exercising ourselves in four different areas, I believe, faith, prayer, worship, and confession. And in those four areas, that's where we're getting ready for the fight. And if you lack in those areas, I bet you're, you're, I bet you're being beat down right now by the world. And I bet you're losing the fight, the good fight that we're supposed to be contending and fighting for. I bet you're losing right now. And these four areas are the areas that we're going to have to get back to that heavenly gym and let God train us once again in these areas that we can go on and fight the good fight because time is wasting. Our course is almost up. We'll be done before we know it. And we'll be standing before our Lord wishing we had done more. So as we think about the upward fight, I want to start with the, I believe, probably the most important one, and that is faith. The area of faith. If you will, turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, look at verse 6. If you like to write in your Bible, I would highlight this verse. It is so important for our Christian faith. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, otherwise you're not coming to him, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you don't believe that, then you certainly won't go to him. And the reason why I say that is because God's going to make you wait. In a home of a mom and dad, and there's a child in the home, and the child says maybe they love chocolate. They just love their candy. They want to get it every day. And they know if they go to dad, he's going to say no. But if they go to mom, she's going to say yes. Who do you think they're going to go to? They're going to go to mom because mom's always given. But if dad, he's trying to maybe teach him something. He says, no, you got to wait. Wait till after supper. I'm not picking on moms. Maybe I should have flipped this. Wait till after supper because really it would probably be the other way, okay, to be honest. Wait till after supper. But mom says, no, you can go ahead and have your dessert before supper and then you can have your supper. I know some of y'all kids are like, man, I want that one. No. That kid's going to go to the mom who's going to give it immediate, immediate satisfaction, immediate gratification. But God is not like that. You know why God's not like that? Because he's a wise, loving father. And he knows when we get it immediately, we don't appreciate it nearly as much as when we have to wait for it. And some of y'all who have had to wait for your prayers to be answered, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It makes it that much sweeter when you have to wait for it, and then you get it, and suddenly you're standing there and you're saying, thank you, Lord, so much, because he's a good, loving father. So here again, it says, but without faith, it is, y'all go ahead and say it, impossible. How possible is impossibility? How impossible is impossible? How about we say it like that? It's impossible, right? It's, it's, that's simple. Yeah, that's on the bottom shelf. You can get to those cookies. 
It is impossible, impossible to please Him without faith. Do you have faith tonight? If you don't have faith, you're not pleasing God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do you see how the fight can get so bad? Think about this. How could you ever come to the saving knowledge of Christ apart from faith? It's impossible. How will you ever submit yourself to God apart from faith? It's impossible. How will you ever sanctify the Lord in your heart without faith? It's absolutely impossible. You know why? Because you can't see God. It's not as though God's sitting on the front row of our church and you walk up to Him and you say, God, I'm going to submit myself to you. No, you have to, by faith, believe what He said in His Word, and then He reveals Himself to you. Why would you change your appearance without faith in what God said? Why would you change what you're watching and listening to apart from faith in what God said? Why would you change your actions or your attitude apart from faith in what God says? Why do it? So you got to have faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. And we have to have faith to contend in this battle. Now, I believe we've got to have faith in three areas. Faith in the past, faith in the present, faith in the future. Faith in the past goes like this. Oftentimes, people are struggling with, with what they have done. The devil likes to bring things up. He likes to remind you about all your failures and all the things that you've ever done and how you came short in this area and that area and so forth and so on. But do we have faith that God has cleansed us from every sin? You should. I should have faith in what's already taken place in the past. As I look back over my life, I love to sit down, and, and I know I sound weird, probably like an old man right here, and I need a little uh, Mr. Rogers sweater with a cup of coffee. But I can get up early in the morning when nobody's up, and I don't, I don't get my phone out or a Bible or really nothing. I'll just sit in my little chair with my little cup of coffee, and I'll just think. That's it. I just think. You know what I'm thinking about? I, a lot of times I like to think about things that have already happened because I don't know what's going to happen. But I'll think about things that have already happened and I'll, and I'll look for the providential hand of God in the middle of those things. You ever done that before? If you haven't, you should because you're missing out on the past of how you can see God working. And when you get a hold of that, then you say, oh, by faith, God, I believe you were there the whole time in the past. Yes, my sins are forgiven and I'm forever cleansed, but Lord, I, I see that you are guiding me along the way to bring me to where I am right now. I know some of y'all have been led. I think it's interesting not to pick on uh, John or, or Derek back here, but it's just a story that God laid on my mind right now. Me and John Evans were out there hanging some flags out at the end of the road. Remember this, John? Hanging up some welcome flags. All of a sudden, here comes Derek in his van. He saw John standing out there. I'd never met Derek before in my life. He pulls in, we get to talking, and I believe we were having something, maybe friends and family day here at the church, and we invited Derek. Derek comes. Did y'all know Derek got saved just a, what, how long has it been now, brother? Month? August 6th, just got saved. You see the providential hand of God from something as simple as standing out on the end of the road, and Derek and John were friends, uh, back, they're still friends now, but they were friends when they were younger, and Derek saw his friend out there and said, I haven't seen John in a long time. Do we think that was a coincidence? Or do we have faith that the providential hand of God set those things in place and brought Derek to this church so that Derek might receive Christ as his personal Savior? Faith in the past of what God's already done. How about faith in the present? 
You know, often I come up here and I say, and, and I know that some of the people are out tonight, but I do believe that every time we have a service, I think everybody is supposed to be there. I believe by faith God has allowed those who are there to be there. Now, I think some people were supposed to be here, but they chose to do something other than obey God's will. But I believe each one is here to hear the message tonight. And by faith, I believe that. That's the present. That's the present. That right now, yes, my sins are forgiven in Christ. I've placed my faith in Him. And even now, right this second, I am, I am free of sin's guilt and debt right now. But also, I believe God's doing things in the present. Our faith should be that strong that God knows exactly where we are in our lives. That's what I'm trying to say. That God knows where you are tonight. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you need to hear. Uh, we can't assume that the preacher somehow has been standing outside your house watching every little thing you're doing and somehow I got an insight and now I'm going to preach a message that hits home for you. Trust me, I didn't do it this week. I promise you. I'd probably be arrested if I did, standing outside your window peeping in. But there is one in heaven that knows exactly where you are. And by faith, I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, a few days ago, as the, well, actually this message was set, up, set forth in, in my heart, almost a month ago, the outline and all, that the Holy Spirit knew then what needed to be said tonight in order to encourage His people. See, that's faith in the present. God knows where we are. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. He's always there, past, present. He knows where you are tonight. He knows what you're dealing with. And He knows that He can take care of your need tonight. Be careful for nothing but by everything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving in your heart, let your requests be made known unto God. Be careful for nothing. You know, God knows that we're caring for things. We're anxious about stuff. And God wants to help you tonight. That's faith. And that kind of faith trains you in heaven's gymnasium, in heaven's workout room, so that you can contend for your faith, so that you can fight the good fight because your faith will not waver. Because you know God was there in the past. God's there in the present. And by faith, I believe God will be there in the future. And that no matter what tomorrow holds, God's already there. No matter what happens next week, God's already there. A month from now, there he is again. Six months from now, yep, he showed up again. A year from now, he's coming, there he is. He's already there. See, God knows it all. And also, not only faith in the future of my life, but also faith in the future coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we worry about the, the time frame of of things that we're dealing with, but who's to say Christ wouldn't just return tomorrow and it'd all be over with? Wouldn't that be wonderful? Even so come, Lord Jesus, and it'd all be done. See, faith is so important for a Christian. And that's why the Bible goes on and on and on, over and over to say the just shall live by faith, walk by faith, not by sight. And Christians are living defeated lives because they're living according to sight. What I can see, what I can feel, what I can know, what I can touch. Our God in heaven is, is bigger and greater than those things. Christians got to learn to live by faith. Faith in what God's able to do. Faith in what He is doing. And faith that He'll always be there. Never to leave us nor forsake us. Faith in His coming and His will and all that He's doing. Live by faith. The second thing I want to share with you tonight. 
is this area of prayer. Faith is something that we do in order to please God. It brings us into the family of God. It sanctifies us in the presence of God. It helps us to be submitted before God as we see, thus saith the Lord, and I say, okay, that's good enough for me. I'll do it. By faith, I do that. But prayer is that thing that keeps me connected to God. In Luke 18, 1, Jesus was going to share a parable, and it says this. He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. See, when, when a believer, when a Christian is not praying, that's when you faint. That's when you give up on your faith. That's when you stop reading your Bible. That's when you start growing cold. That's when you don't feel the presence of God anymore. You stopped praying. You stopped talking to your God. You stop spending time with your heavenly Father. You stop just telling the Father how much you love your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You stop recognizing to the Father how He's been working in your life. You stop thanking Him for your salvation. You stopped asking Him to help you with today and tomorrow and the next day and so forth and so on. So you stopped communicating. In any relationship, communication is a killer to a relationship. If you want to put your relationships in the grave, stop communicating. And that's how you'll do it. I've had friends in the past. We were great friends, strong friends. But you know what happened? Distance and time caused us to stop communicating. Now, some of them I might could go back to and have a conversation with again, and we'd pick back up, but it will never be the same because our lack of communication has sort of severed our relationship, and we're distant. In a home, the same would happen with a couple. If they stop communicating, they're severed. In a church, if we stop communicating with one another, eventually people fall. They slide all the way to the back, and next thing you know, they're out the doors and they're somewhere else. And it's because of a lack of communication. If, if we all have to have such levels of communication, how much more the God who created us and wired us the way that we are? In the beginning, when God formed Adam from the dust of the earth and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, he realized, and even Adam did, that he needed a companion. He needed somebody to communicate with. And you know, even though it seems nice sometimes, go out there and talk to the cattle, talk to the dog, Miss Angie, talk to... Uh, Maybe the birds, whatever you like to talk to. Some people like to do that, but I'll tell you, it, it'll, it'll, lose its, it'll lose its sweetness after a while, and you'll want somebody to talk to. Because communication is wired inside of us. We have to communicate. So prayer in itself is communication with your Creator. And if you don't make an effort, well, God's still sitting there on the throne of heaven. He's been there for all of eternity. And He's saying... I'm just waiting on you to speak to me. I'm just waiting on you to come to me. I'm just waiting on you. As a child of God, we have the assurance that our prayers are heard and we will be answered. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says a lot about prayer. Turn with me back to Psalm 62. I'll give you a few passages so I, I don't um, uh, do everything tonight. <laughs> I could read it to you, but... You might want to highlight it. Maybe you do. Psalm 62, verse 8. Psalm 60. This is a wonderful verse, by the way. If you, if you turn there, you might want to highlight it. It is a good verse. Psalm 62, 8. Look what it says. It says, trust in Him. Somebody tell me how often, based on the verse. 
all times, at all times. Trust in him at all times, ye people. Look, he says, pour out your heart before him. You know what that is? That's prayer. That's prayer. That's what prayer is. I'm pouring my heart out before my creator who's in control. Pour your heart out before him. You say, well, I'm cold and I don't know how to talk to him. Pour that out before him. God, I'm sorry, I'm cold and I don't know how to talk to you. Would you help me, please? And then by faith, you believe he'll answer. Do you see how they all work hand in hand together? Pour your heart out before him and look, God is a refuge for us. For us. That's for God's people. See, God wants you to trust in Him. God wants you to pour your heart out before Him. And God wants you to run to Him and seek Him out as an asylum, as a refuge, as a place to hide, and let Him hide you in that cleft of the rock. Prayer helps us in those areas. Prayer is something where we pour our hearts out before the Lord. I got another one for you. Go over to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew 26. Let me get there kind of quick, so I've got a little bit more time. Matthew 26, 41. Look what it says here. Now, this is a warning to believers, and, and this one's a good one. They're all good to highlight. You might as well just highlight your whole Bible. Matthew 26, 41. It says, watch and pray. Now, watching has to do with the guard of some kind. That you're going to guard yourself. See, remember, we're contending for the faith. We're fighting the good fight. We're finishing our course. He says, watch and pray. Why? Look at the verse. That you enter not into what? Temptation. Temptation. You ever been tempted to do something you knew you shouldn't do? Anybody? I mean, I hope I'm not here by, I'm the only one. I feel bad. You've been tempted before, hadn't you? Were you watching and praying? Were you watching and praying? Look what it says. It says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. See, prayer is powerful because in prayer, we go to God and we say, God, you know my besetting sins. God, you know my failures. Would you please, Lord, don't let me be led into temptation today. Protect me from those things. See, watch and pray, he says, that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but we know the flesh is weak. And often we find the biggest, the greatest battles that we have are battles of the flesh. And it's because our spirits are starving, starving to be close to God. Adelia, they're starving to be close to God, okay? So again, we pour out our spirit, I'm sorry, we pour out our hearts before the Lord and then we watch and pray that we enter not into temptation. Prayer is not only a pouring out, but it's also a protection for us. When you pray, you are protecting yourself from that roaring lion who walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And you know who that is? That's Satan. That's who that is. That's the devil. And he wants to destroy our lives, my life, your life, and all of us. Go over to Luke 18 with me. got one for you right here. Uh, this was the one that we started with, but let me show it to you again. Luke 18, 1. Luke 18, 1. 
And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And then he goes on to talk about uh, a city where there was a judge which feared not God, God, and so forth and so on. And then there was a widow woman in there, and I, don't, I know I don't have time tonight to go into the depths of this, but there was a woman that ends up getting a hold of this evil judge to take care of her need. And the way that the woman did it is she was persistent. Her importunity, her over and over and over, that she came to this man and she said, avenge me of my adversary, avenge me of my adversary. And, and over and over she just pestered this evil judge. And the evil judge was so worn down because the woman just would not leave him alone. Finally, he said, yes, I will avenge you of your adversary. Now, I want you to know that's not God. Did you know God's not evil? He's not anything like an evil judge. And that's why the parable goes on and says this. It says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh shall... I'm sorry, I read the wrong one. It says, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God, the good God, the heavenly Father, avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. Don't you think our good God would do more than some evil and wicked judge who's just worn out? And I'd say yes. So we ought to always pray, and when we pray, we avoid fainting. And see, prayer is perseverance. Prayer is protection. Prayer is a pouring out. And even in Psalm 66, 20, it says, Blessed be God, which hath not turned away my prayer. Answered prayer is a promise. God will answer you in some way or another. It may not always be the answer you want, but there's going to be something. Some type of answer that God's going to give you. And so prayer is that channel through which a Christian receives power, comfort, and divine orders from heaven. Prayer is simply asking and receiving, and the result is a heart filled with joy because your God in heaven is hearing you, is responding to you. And so I'd say this, guard your prayer life. A lot of people don't guard their prayer life, and they let it sort of get away from them, and then before you know it, they've gone a week and they haven't prayed. Guard your prayer life. We guard our calendars, don't we? How many here have something on their calendar coming up? Maybe in the next week or so. Anybody? Okay, so you guard your calendar. You made an appointment. Why don't you make an appointment for prayer? And let that be the most important appointment you make that day. Guard your prayer life. It's that crucial that we guard our prayer life. Refuse to be interrupted in your prayer closet until you have touched heaven and you know that you've been in the throne of grace. Prayer is so important to fight the good fight. The third one I want, you to I want to show you tonight is the area of worship. So far, we have talked about faith. It is impossible to please God without faith. Prayer, we're to pray always so that we will not faint. And now I want to talk to you about worship. Worship. What does it mean to worship? If you study the history of the word worship, it can be broken into two other words, worth and ship. And that's not the ship like you would sail across the sea. It's, um, it's something that's tagged onto the end of words. Worth, I think we all understand that one. It means something significant, something that deserves acknowledgement, something of value. And the worth is the why. That's why we worship. It's the value of that thing. It's the significance of it. It's, it's what it deserves. But the ship, that little thing put on the end of the word there, it's referring to the quality or the condition or the act of that thing 
that has value to it. Worship is showing the value of something or someone. And how valuable is God in your life? And that's how much you'll worship Him. However, much, however valuable God is in your life, that's how much you will worship Him. And if you see Him as a trinket, as you, if you see Him as just a, a quick fix whenever times are tough, He won't be of much value to you. and You're not going to spend a lot of time with Him. But worship is showing the value of something or someone, and it shows the value of God Almighty. I want to take you, take you over to uh, the book of John, chapter 4, if you will. Since you were in Luke, just turn to the right there, go to gospel, the gospel of John, and look with me at chapter 4. And uh, let's see if I can find that passage. I didn't write it down, but I want to share this one with you. So in this, in this uh, chapter here, John chapter 4, John, uh, Jesus has uh, come in contact with this Samaritan woman. And you see in uh, verse, verse 7, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. And then they have this whole back and forth uh, conversation about uh, the water and this surprise that this woman has because Jesus is talking to a woman who is, is a Samaritan. And as it goes on, eventually she starts to recognize that she worships in Samaria, the Jews worship in Jerusalem. And then Jesus says this in verse 23. He says, The hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such... To worship Him. Now, in this area of worship, how do we worship God? Now, I gave you this sense of the word. I think you understand that. It's how much value that thing has. That's how much you'll worship it. And a lot of us probably worship the wrong things. Maybe you worship television, or maybe you worship sports, or maybe you worship hot rods, or maybe you're worshiping food, uh, or maybe you worship coffee. I tell you, I got to be careful about that one. I love some coffee. You know, everybody worships something. Some people can worship their phones and they've got so much junk on there and they can never disconnect themselves from that digital device. So it's all about the value of something. That'll determine how much you worship it. We're to worship God. This is a part of fighting our good fight. But how do we worship God? Two things, in spirit and in truth. Can you believe it's that simple? Somebody would say, no, to worship God, we've got to have us a revival tent meeting out here up on the hilltop, right? We've got to bring in some great evangelist preacher. We've got to have 10 different singing groups up here. We've got to invite the whole town. That's how we worship God. No, actually, the Bible says it's just spirit and truth. Not say those things are, I'm not saying those things are wrong. I'm just saying to worship God, you worship Him in spirit and in truth. What do we mean by that when we say spirit? To worship in spirit means to not be mechanical in your worship, formalistic, meaning you, it's that, that's what we would call religion, that you come in and you know exactly what to say, how to say it. You stand up, you sit down, you stand up, you sit down. You get your, hymnal, your hymnal out and, and you know, you're looking, but honestly, you know the word so well, you're just on autopilot. Nothing but the blood of G, and you're actually on page 335, which is 
He is able to deliver that. You just don't even need the book. See, you're just going through the motion. You're not actually worshiping. You know what worship is? Worship is before you ever step through those doors, you're already looking for God to speak to you. You are on your way knowing, knowing that you have come short of the glory of God today. You have sin in your life. You are not perfect. And you are already confessing that sin before you get to that door. You're saying, God, let me be clean before you tonight. Let me be pure, Lord, so that when I get there, I can worship you. Lord. I want to feel you. I want to know you're there. And then when that song, when, that, when, when Brother Ronnie says, open your hymnal to such and such, you're opening the hymnal, hymnal, but you're not just reading the words. You're actually seeing the truth in the message of the song, and you are singing out, not for the sake of the people around you, but you're singing out to worship God. And your mind and your attention is not on the wrong things, on a phone or on some other thing that you're doing, but it's actually on God Almighty. That's where your attention is. You're not worshiping otherwise. You're off in la-la land somewhere, and too many people are off in la-la land, and they fail to worship God. Spirit, don't be mechanical. Don't be formalistic. To worship in spirit is to, it's a worship, it's a type of worship that originates down in the heart. Not in the mind, but in the heart. Something's going on inside of you. It is true worship. It is real worship. It is deep felt worship of God out of a heart that truly desires to know God and to worship the one who has blessed you with eternal life. And not only that, but physical life. Everything we have, our families, our friends, this church, our county, our freedoms here, everything, the completed Bible, the Holy Spirit in us who seals us to the day of redemption, all of it, that because of the value of God, I say, God, I have to move, remove the distractions. I've got to let go of the things that are clouding my mind. I need to worship you, and I need to do it from my heart, Lord because you're worthy of such things. The Father's seeking those worshipers, those who worship in spirit. And here's another part of it. Proper worship will never go contrary to God's Word. Turn with me back to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. 1 Chronicles chapter 13. I'll give you just something real brief. I'm not going to go into depth on this because I'll run out of time. But 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and then chapter 15. If anything tonight has stepped on your toes, it it's, wasn't necessarily my intent. I just want to be honest with you so that, um, so that you'll understand how you can fight your fight. Souls are at stake. People are dying and going to hell every single day because Christians fail to do the things that God's called us to do. And we let the, white, uh, the light flicker and we let the salt become unsavory because we're not doing the simple things God's called us to do. 1 Chronicles chapter 13, look at verse 7. And they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadad. And Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart. Seems like a good thing. Carrying the ark of the covenant, the ark of God. Boy, that was the presence of God in the nation of Israel. And David and all Israel played before God with all their might. Boy, they were celebrating. And with singing and with harps and with the sautries and the timbrels and with cymbals, and even with the trumpets. If we were standing and watching this event, we would say, Woo, 
praise God, that's, that's something good right there. Look at that music. Look at the celebration. And here comes the Ark of the Covenant riding on a cart. Praise God. But you look at the next verse at what happens. And when they came into the threshing floor of Chidon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. What happened? Wasn't he doing what he was supposed to do? He was celebrating God, wasn't he? Isn't that all that matters? Right? As long as you're just celebrating, as long as you're doing it your own way, isn't that all that matters? No, I'll tell you straight, it's not all that matters. You know what actually matters? Thus saith the Lord. And I don't mean that as a cliche. I'm trying to be serious with you tonight. What matters in our walk with God is thus saith the Lord. Look at chapter 15 with me. Pick up in verse Pick up in verse 2. Or no, let's start with verse 1. It'll be fine. Let's start with verse 1. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God. Same ark, but a later time. And he pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. Look back at chapter 13 again. What, what did they do? They placed the ark, verse 7, they placed the ark down into a new cart that was being pulled. The cart was actually being pulled by oxen, and they were carrying the cart, or the ark on this man-made cart. Did you know God had already told them many years prior, don't carry the Ark of the Covenant that way. There is one way the Ark of the Covenant would be carried. You'll take rods, you'll slip them down the side of the Ark, and on either side of that Ark, only the Levites, my chosen people within the nation of Israel, who will minister to the needs of, of the temple every single day, only they are allowed to carry the Ark. In chapter 13, they were celebrating God. They were having a good time, but they weren't doing it according to God's word. And so God's judgment fell on them. In chapter 15, David says, Here he says, None ought to carry the ark but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And David gathered all Israel together to Jerusalem to bring up the ark of God unto his place which he had prepared for it. He assembles all these children, as the list goes on here, down to verse 12. And then he said unto the chief of the fathers of the Levites, Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. They were finally doing things God's way. For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us. He killed Uzzah, is what he did, for that we sought him not after the... Look, what does it say? Somebody read it if you're looking. The due order... You know what that's referring to? That's referring to God's Word. The due order is exactly how God said do it. That's how God wants you to do it. You say, boy, that just seems so hateful. I want to do it my way. Well, that's because you're a rebel at heart, and I am too. God says, no, you do it my way because I'm the Creator. He hung the stars. He formed the planet. He formed man from the dust of the earth. He is the absolute owner. And David finally realized it wasn't that they needed more music. It wasn't that they needed more looseness to the, to the communities there in, in Israel. It wasn't that they needed to change their methods. They just needed to get back to the Word of God and finally realize that God had already said, Thus saith 
the Lord. And if you want to worship God in spirit, you have to also do it in truth. Spirit is from the heart. Truth is from the Word of God. And that's why sometimes I know that the preaching here at Southside is very Bible heavy. We don't major on music. We major on Bible. And some of y'all might not like that. Maybe it's boring to you. I don't know. But I hate to tell you, that's what God ordained to reach people is the preaching of His Word. And the other stuff that's out there, it creates more confusion than it ever does deliver anybody. And you have to be careful because if you get caught up in that, well, you'll be just like 2 Timothy chapter 4 and you'll no longer listen to sound doctrine and you'll heap to yourselves. Teachers having itching ears and what you'll want is more carnality because carnality always breeds carnality. When it comes to the Word, again, the Spirit, uh, we have to worship according to God's Word. And you can go back and read those three chapters there, 13, 14, and 15, and connect that, but I'm going to move on here. The other part was truth. Truth, what is factual? What is actual? What is, what is God's truth? Not artificial, not man-made, but what is made of God? God ordained, God judged. Truth is lasting, that's what it does. Did you, did you ever think of truth in that way? I, I've often contemplated these things and tried to figure out why is the Word of God so important? Because it's, it would be very easy to step away from the Word of God and to be more of a showman, I think. Because you would certainly bring a larger crowd if you did those things and you tickled the ears. But did you know that the reason why God's Word is so important is because truth is lasting? It doesn't affect people just for one season of their life, but it affects them for all the seasons of their life. I'll give you the verse, Proverbs 12, 19. You can just write these down. I'm going to move a little quicker here. The lip of truth shall be established forever. The lip of truth shall be established forever. It's lasting. It'll make an impact. When you let God's Word come into your life, just as Jesus said, it'll set you free. And those shackles will never come back again because it's lasting. That's what the Word of God does. It's lasting. Another thing is, those in the Spirit, they, they will hear the truth. Go to 1 John with me. 1 John. I'm going to have to speed up here to get this last part for you. And we might have to cut this off here in a minute. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Those who know God will hear His word and they will respond to it. Those who won't hear the word of God and want something else, they're in error. They've gotten away from where they're supposed to be because the Father is looking for those to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Truth should be in God's children. In 1 John again, chapter 2, verse 4, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Did you hear that verse? That should be an eye-opening verse for all of us, unless you have deaf ears tonight. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 4, God said, if you don't hear my truth and you claim that you know my truth, but yet you don't keep my commandments, you are a liar. Truth is a light that shines into our lights 
as much as light that shines into a dusty room. And often it reproves evil. In the Gospel of John chapter 3, it says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. You know why, you know why Bible preaching makes people feel uncomfortable? Because they don't like the light of God's Word. That's all it is. That's why Bible pre- and that's why Bible preaching is not, it's not often accepted by the masses. Because straight Bible preaching should make us all feel uncomfortable, me included. Because it's the blessed light of God. He shines His light on our lives to say, No, no, no. This is my way. This is my way. This is what I want you to do. The the verse also goes on. It says, He that doeth truth cometh to the light. Well, I tell you, I love to be under good Bible preaching and teaching. I listen to sermons just about every day. I, I use this thing called sermon audio, and I'll just listen to a bunch of different sermons. Maria will come and she'll see me with my headphones on. She'll say, what are you doing? I'll say, listen to a sermon. Because I like to be under that light because I want God's word to expose things in my own life. He that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. John 3, verses 20 through 21. Three things I've mentioned to you tonight. Faith. And with faith, it's impossible to please God apart from it. Prayer. Keep a relationship with God. Pray. Stay connected to heaven. And then worship. Know that you can only worship God in spirit and in truth. And then the fourth one is this, and this one is very important, and it's this, confession. Confession. Now, I want to be clear here tonight. I'm not saying that I'm going to create a booth up here on this side of the front of the room, and I'm going to put a booth on this side of the room. And, Brother Ronnie, I'm going to sit in one booth, and you come to the other booth, and then you confess your sins to me. That's not what I mean by confession. Because there's no mediator between God and man except the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. But confession is often not done properly, and that's why we also live defeated Christian lives. We let things pile up too much. When was the last time you confessed something to the Lord? When was the last time you took about an hour of your day and you got on your knees and you began to meditate on all the things that you failed to do right that day? And I don't mean you spilled milk or anything silly like that. No, I mean you you used foul language when you shouldn't have. You thought dirty thoughts when you shouldn't have. You doubted God when you shouldn't have. Those sorts of things. Have you you just taken it? Just taken out. Actually, don't even do that. Just take 10 minutes every day. 10 minutes. I think we can all do that. Ten minutes, get on your knees and start confessing your sin. And I guarantee you, based on God's word, it'll change your walk with God. Do you believe that? God said it. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we need to be clean before God. Confession is the fourth part. And I want to tell you, there's three areas in confession as we declare our guilt before God where we've come short of His glory. There's personal confession that is extremely important. Each person accountable to God for their own sins. I can't go and just sit and have a good conversation with my wife. I love talking to Maria. We have good conversations, but I can't go to her and say, Honey, man, I tell you, I I was kind of mean today. I said this to, you know, so-and-so over here. But I tell you, they just got all underneath my skin, and I just, I couldn't help it, but I'm just, you know, honey, I, I'm just sorry. I, I wish I hadn't have done that. Did you know that's not enough? 
That's not enough. I can't just go to her. No, it's a personal confession. I go to my heavenly Father, get on my knees, and I say, Father in heaven, I have sinned against you. Every sin that we've ever committed is an offense against God, not that person sitting next to you. Father, I have sinned against you. You are holy and I'm not. You're perfect and righteous and I'm not. And Lord, I shouldn't have treated your creation, my brother in Christ over here, in the way that I did. And Lord, please forgive me for that. See, it's a personal confession. And we must do that with God or else you're not going to fight the good fight. You're not going to finish the course right. You're not going to contend for the faith. Personal confession. And then there's private confession. And that's, that's along with personal. Then not only do I have to make it personal, but I need to get along with God when I confess. I don't need to be riding down the street uh, on you know the subway or something. I'm riding on some busy something going down the road with all these people around, and then I'm confessing my sins. You can do that, but you'll be better off to get along so that when all those crocodile tears start flowing and you start heaving like a little baby and snot spilling out of your nose and you're drooling, people aren't going to, what's wrong with that guy? Are you okay? Did, you, did your grandma die? No. So you've got to get along with God. Make it private. That way there's no interruptions. Personal. It's private. Get along with God. Don't just talk to others, but confess it to Him. But here's the third one, public. Public confession. You say, wait a second, I thought I just offended God. He's the only one I need to make it right with. No. Turn with me for one last passage. James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5. Verse 16. <clears throat> James chapter 5, verse 16. It says this, Confess your faults one to another. And then it goes on to say, And pray for one another that you may be healed. But do you see that first part? Confess your faults one to another. Have you offended someone? You should go apologize. You should tell them, I was in the wrong. And when you go and tell them you were in the wrong, don't let an if or but come at the end of it. I learned that. I've been married long enough. Honey, I'm sorry, but... Honey, I'm sorry, if... Don't do that. No, you go and confess, you just say... I was wrong. I'm sorry. Or as some people like to say it, I was wrong. I apologize. I was talking to someone here recently about that. They like the word apologize over. Sorry, that's fine either way. But confess your faults one to another. And that way, not only are the connections between our brothers and sisters in Christ right here on earth, but also our connection between us and our Heavenly Father is right as well. Now, you might be saying, and I know I told you I was going to give you no more verses, and you don't have to turn here, but you might be saying, I don't know about that personal confession thing. Is it really that significant? Is it really that important that we confess one to another? Well, in the, uh, in the model prayer, the Lord said this, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. 
Have you offended someone? Because you're not willing to go apologize to that person, that could be the thing that is quenching your growth right now. And until you untie that knot, until you re release that thing that's restraining your growth, you're going to struggle in your Christian life. You're going to struggle in your growth, your spiritual growth. But as soon as you're willing to go forth in, in humility, I know sometimes it's hard, but God tells us to do it. Because He forgave us, we should go forth and forgive others. And there's times where we need to go before our people and we need to make a public confession before them and resolve issues of resentment, stop that gossip train, and seek restoration with our brothers and our sisters in Christ and even others who have never been added to the family of God. That all of our, our relationships are right and we have done all that we can to make things right. And as we fight this upward fight, it strengthens us and equips us for the spiritual battles that we face every single day. I know you're in a spiritual battle today. You know why I know that? Because I'm in a spiritual battle today. And there's not a single person in this building who is not in a spiritual battle today. If we take the things that God has told us in His Word and by faith we apply them in our lives, we can actually see victory. We can see victory in our lives when it comes to these spiritual battles. But if we go on and try to do it ourselves in the flesh, the flesh is weak, but the Spirit is willing. Paul said, I have fought a good fight, and I have finished my course, and I have kept the faith. I hope at the end of your life you'll be able to say the same thing. I hope I will too. And I believe if we take some of these things through this series and apply them in our lives, I believe God will be faithful to honor His Word as His people are faithful to honor Him. Let's pray tonight. Father, we love You tonight. And we thank You for, the, for this series. I know this has gone on for right at four weeks now. But Lord, I pray that each message has been a blessing and a help to your people. And I pray tonight as we've looked into the most important part of all of this, this upward fight, that Lord, we would take this matter seriously. To know that our faith, Lord, we must have faith or we, we cannot please you. It's absolutely impossible for us to please you apart from faith. And then Lord, we have to remain in prayer. Men all, always to pray and not to faint. And Lord, our worship should be in spirit and truth, sweet and genuine from our hearts, based on your precious word. And Lord, if there's ever fault between us and you or any of our others around us, we should confess. Lord, as soon as we know, we should confess and make it right. That Lord, you'll be faithful to keep your word, that if we confess our sins, that you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, tonight as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and no one looking around, I just want to ask the church, maybe tonight you've got some things that came to mind while I was preaching through the message here. The Lord smote you with something in your life. One of these areas where you're struggling tonight. I want to be able to pray for you, and that's what I'll do, but I think also as we acknowledge it, Openly, I believe God will be faithful to help us in that area. Who here tonight would say, Brother Tim, I've been struggling with faith, and you'd be willing to slip your hand up and say, that's me. Would you pray for me? Amen, I see that hand. I've been struggling with my faith. Amen. Who here tonight would say with the uplifting of the hand, I've been struggling with my prayer life. 
It's been weak. I need it to be more powerful, more strong, more sincere, more sweet. Amen. I see those hands going up. Who here tonight would say, I've been struggling with my worship. I've been coming. I've been going through the motions. But Brother Tim, I'll be honest with you, it hasn't been in spirit and truth. Anybody here tonight would say that? Amen. I see those hands. I've been struggling with my worship. How many here tonight would say, Brother Tim, I've got things I need to confess, and I haven't done it yet. Anybody here tonight, you'd slip your hand up, you say, I've got things I need to confess, and I haven't done it yet. I see that. Amen. Amen. With our heads bowed our eyes are clo- and, and our eyes closed, would you be willing right now where you sit to confess those sins to God tonight? Confess those sins to your heavenly Father. Did you know that sin offended Him? And He's the one we need to approach. You say, I've been struggling with my faith. That's a sin against God because He says, walk by faith. You say, I've been struggling with my prayer life. That's a sin against God because He said, we ought always to pray. You say, I've been struggling with my worship. He says, that's a sin too because He says, the Father's seeking those who worship Him in spirit and truth. Right now, confess that sin as we close the service. Father, we love you tonight. And I pray today, Lord, that you've had your way in the hearts of your people. Lord, we humbly bow before you tonight, recognizing that we have all come short of your glory. That you are the creator of all things holy and righteous and good and just in every way. Above the highest of highs in this world we live in, Lord. So wonderful, so merciful, so loving and kind so faithful. And Lord, tonight as we just humble ourselves before you, we we ask you, Lord, please to be faithful to forgive us for our shortcomings, but then, Lord, to strengthen us for the fight ahead. Would you do that for us tonight, Lord? As we desire to fight for you, to contend for the faith, to run our courses, to fight the good fight, and tonight as we close in prayer, I pray, Lord, you'd give us a great zeal a refreshed sense in our spirit, Lord, to go out and conquer the world for the cause of Jesus Christ. Lord, that you'd let a great amount of boldness fall in this place tonight. May the Spirit of God be felt in every single one of us and that we'd have a renewed, refreshed sense of faith and prayer and worship and even a desire to stay close to you in confession. And Lord, tonight, maybe as we go home, before we lay our heads down, we would go into the blessed book And Lord, look for you to lead us and guide us as we recognize your word as the lamp unto our feet and our light unto our path. Thank you so much for the day you've blessed us with. Thank you for the services today. I pray you'd continue to help us this week. And even so come, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.